You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Venezia, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. David's love for his son Absalom overcame many obstacles. I mean, think about all of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. You know, the rebellion of his son and so on. You know, seeking to unseat David as king. Entering into sexual relationships with his concubines. Seeking to kill his father David. And yet David's love overcame those obstacles. Many of us would be quick to agree that the word love has been rather watered down in many cultures and societies, whether it's silly love songs on the radio, false depictions in movies, or otherwise. Many people think of love as a word rather than a verb. As Pastor Mike discusses in his message today, love is measured by the obstacles it overcomes. In his study, You'll learn about the many obstacles that King David faced with his son Absalom, yet still loved him with great passion. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 18 as he continues his message, The Heart of the Father. I remember what you said, you When the news was shared of Absalom being killed, we hear the words of grief and great lamentation. And David is willing to die, he would have been willing to die, in Absalom's place. So that sorrow and grief that David was experiencing when he received the news of his son being killed. Now, you as parents know something about this sort of grief. Maybe not to the same degree, but nevertheless, think about it. When your children become sick, or they are injured, and they're suffering, isn't it true, even as David wished that he could be able to trade places with Absalom, in those times when your children have become sick, or injured, or are suffering, don't you wish that you could switch positions with them? Because, you know, children don't understand, particularly young children, don't understand sickness. They don't understand their suffering. The sparkle goes out of their eyes. And it's a horrible thing to see in your children as a parent. Because you know how fragile children are. But David, in spite of the fact that his son was no good, nevertheless, he loved him still and gladly would have substituted for him in death. He would rather have had the tables turned. He would have 
gladly died in Absalom's place. Folks, let me tell you something. That's exactly what true love looks like. Now, concerning this love, you know, it's been said that love is measured by the obstacles that it overcomes. And David's love for his son Absalom overcame many obstacles. I mean, think about all of what we've been talking about over the last several weeks. You know, the rebellion of his son and so on. You know, seeking to unseat David as king. Entering into sexual relationships with his concubines. Seeking to kill his father David. And yet David's love overcame those obstacles. So anyway, we are told that love is measured by the obstacles that it overcomes. Now hold on to that thought. But it has also been said that love must also be measured by its gifts. And listen, David expressed, if possible, to give his own life for his son. In other words, he was willing to give the gift of his own life. You see, in this, the gift is measured by its cost, not its value, but what it costs us to give it. You know, this has been beautifully illustrated in the Gospel of Mark. In fact, if you turn there with me. But this was beautifully illustrated by Jesus, and that is the gift is measured by its cost and not its value, what it costs us to give. In Mark's Gospel in chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, Now, on one occasion, Jesus happens to be standing by as people are coming forward to give their regular tithes and offerings, their gift to be placed within the treasury. Now, according to the Old Testament laws, where the people were receiving the instruction of the Lord, that's where they were to give. You know, even as we are instructed in the Word to give, where we are being instructed in the word by the Lord. And that, of course, would be in the church. Now, on this particular occasion, Jesus is standing by and he's watching people come one by one and presenting their gifts, their tithes, and their offerings to be placed within the treasury. I often think about this. Could you imagine if Jesus was present when we were passing the plate and uh, he was just scrutinizing, watching everybody, you know, growing into their pocket and pulling out their money or their checks, writing their checks and placing in the offering. You know, I wonder, you know, if if the Lord was watching one by one as we were giving, would we be more conscientious in our giving to the work of the Lord? Anyway, just something to think about. But Jesus is standing by. So Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in much. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. But then all of a sudden, appearing upon the scene, along with this company of people who are giving, one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrant. So she only had a couple of pennies to give, but nevertheless, she gave. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, so he's going to use this as a, an opportunity to instruct them, in the subject of giving. And once again, the point that I'm trying to make here is the gift is measured by its cost and not by its value. That is what it costs the individual to give. He says, assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more. Wait a second, how, how could she have put in more? She only put in a couple of pennies. Whereas the rich put in abundantly, you see. 
But you see, they put in according to their abundance and what they had. But this woman gave according to her want. And therein lies the difference. But nevertheless, she put in more than all those who have given to the treasury. And then in verse 44, for they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. So it cost her to give. Although it was a small amount, it was all she had. In other words, she gave sacrificially. And that's the thing that God takes note of. That is when we give sacrificially. This is the way God measures our experiences or our expressions of love. The question is, what did it cost you give? And so please take that to heart. And listen, you know what? It's not a burden to give because, you know, there are certain laws that govern the universe and uh, you can't outgive God. Whatever you give, it comes back to you tenfold, thirtyfold, sixtyfold, a hundredfold. It might not come back in monetary gain, but it'll come back to you in so many other ways, in health, in provision, so many different ways that God gives back to you. So it's not a burden to give. You can't outgive God. Anyway, now we want to think about, okay, so that has to do with this whole story about David here. And remember I said in my opening statements that this message is all about the love and the heart of God our Father. So now we want to kind of turn the page here, if you will, and we want to think about another father's love. Not just David's love, but another father's love. And that is God our Father. And Jesus spoke of that love when we are told in John's Gospel, in chapter 3, in verse 16, one of the most beloved verses of Scripture anywhere in the Bible, there we are told, for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son. And I want you to think of the obstacles God's love had to overcome. The world that he loved was not as he had created it. At the time that Jesus died on the cross, the world was marred by sin. It was a world that was in rebellion against God and his rule. Men were crying, we don't want God to rule over us. We will live as we please. Oh, really? Come on. I mean, you know, think about this. There were only two basic rules. Is that too much for God to ask of any of us? What were those two rules? Love God and love your neighbor. I mean, come on. Was God really asking all that much of us? And if everyone followed those rules, I mean, think of what a wonderful world this will be. But praise God. You know, let me also add, one day, that's exactly the way the world will be. That is when Jesus comes back and establishes his kingdom upon the earth. So much of the suffering of the world today would be done away with. All of the lust, all of the greed, the exploitation of mankind, all of the wars would be eliminated. Listen, we've ruled out God from his reigning over us. But nevertheless, his love overcame that obstacle of man's rebellion. And he loves us still. You know, it's so tragic that people scorn the love of God. And why is that? Well, simply because they love the world more than they love the Lord. 
1 John chapter 2 and verse 15, we're instructed there. The Bible tells us that we're not to love the world or the things in or of the world in our heart. And if we do, that the love of the Father is not in us. So it's tragic that so many love the things of the world. You know, in the scriptures, we're introduced to this fellow whose name is Demas. I don't know if you're familiar with that name or not. He's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. The first time, he's mentioned in the book of Colossians along with Luke, the physician. In the book of Philemon, and there he's recommended to us as a fellow worker, a companion of Paul's. But unfortunately, in 2 Timothy, in chapter 4 and verse 10, so here is a fellow who at one time loved the Lord, who was doing everything that he could possibly do to advance the kingdom of God. He was a fellow worker along with Paul. But unfortunately, we are told in 2 Timothy in chapter 4 and verse 10, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved, notice here, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. So he turned his back upon God, he turned his back upon Paul, and he went his own way. Why? because he loved the world. Do you see that? And unfortunately, there are so many people like that, and in fact, in my own experience, as being a pastor, who started off well, you know, who served the Lord, who proclaimed to love God, but for whatever reason, they've gone back into the world, like this fellow Demas. You see, why was that? Because people love themselves more than they love God. They think that they know best. Their banner is, I am the captain of my own destiny. But that's never true. The person who makes that statement is absolutely wrong. It's not true. Because the truth of the matter is, and I know that I'm not going to probably make some enemies by saying this, if you don't have Christ ruling and reigning, not any enemies of you, of course, But if you don't have Christ ruling and reigning in your life, then you're being controlled by the devil who uses the world around us to control us. Let me give you a cross-reference of this. In the book of Ephesians, in chapter 2, in verses 1 and 2. And you, he has made alive. So this is a picture in contrast. It's a picture of who we were before our making a decision for Christ. And now who and what we've become in Christ. But in our B.C. days, before Christ, notice it says, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. That that is, we were dead to the things of God and spiritual things. And you, he has made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 2, in which you once walked according to the course of this world. And who is controlling the world? And the attitudes and the philosophies that are in our world today. In other words, the devil is beating the drum that men and women are marching to today. According to the prince of the power, and that's just another way to describe the devil, that's one of the many ways that the devil is recommended to us in the scriptures. The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So people don't even realize that to disobey God is to obey the devil. You see, it is his suggestions, it is his work, It is his power in the world that turns you away from God's path. And this is accomplished many times by his subtle lies. And what are those lies that people buy into? Hey, Mike, 
God is not fair. God is withholding some good thing from you, something that is good, suggesting that you can better yourself by ignoring the rules that God has established that are recorded for us in the Word. Well, let me ask you this question. How's that working out for us? I mean, think about all of the chaos and the confusion and the the calamity that our world is in today. And why is that? It's because of sin. That's it. That's the answer to that question. Oh, that our politicians, that men who rule over us would realize that and understand that and encourage the nation as a whole to turn back unto God. So many who have rebelled against God's authority. There are many who were seeking to destroy God as Absalom sought to destroy his father David. I mean, think about it. When Jesus, who is God, became flesh, they sought to destroy him, and that took place right from the very beginning until finally they nailed him to a tree and watched him die. They cried out. Remember when Pilate presented Jesus back to him after he had been unmercifully treated and beaten by those soldiers, and Pilate presented Jesus back unto the people, they all cried out. We will not have this man to rule over us. And listen, let me tell you something. The same cry goes out today. Many people today, if they had the chance, would kill God and undermine Christianity. There are certain groups, like for example, people for the American way, the American Civil Liberties Union. If they would have their way, they would destroy God. They would eliminate God. If it was in their their capabilities to do so, they would kill God. Their desire is to destroy God. And yet God loves them. And God's love can overcome a rebellious heart, even those who are seeking to destroy him. Listen, Jesus during his final weeks, there upon the Mount of Olives, remember, he was rejected by man as he presented himself as the Savior. Nevertheless, he was despised. He was rejected of men. He wept not for himself, not out of self-pity, but for them. What this rejection would cost them. What was that? The destruction which would follow because of the choices that they had made. Because they would not allow him to rule, soon the Roman troops under Titus, the Roman general, in 70 A.D., would come and level the city of Jerusalem and kill innocent people and children. And so Jesus now on the Mount of Olives, looking back on the city of Jerusalem, cried out, Oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. Listen, many of us as parents have shared the same experience. As a parent, we've had to watch our children make foolish decisions and choices. And then they had to pay the consequences. They had to go through experiences of great hurt. And it just killed us as parents to watch that. And oh, how God must weep for us because of his great love for us. But nevertheless, we go on and we say to God, hey, listen, I can do it myself. I don't need you telling me. But he knows about the trouble that will come because of the wrong choices that we make. And even when we come back in repentance, when we come back to our senses, and we realize the folly of our ways, and we're weeping like the prodigal son coming back to his father, God, we will discover, is weeping with us. He shares in our sorrow as a father for his 
child. And guess what? He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't reject us. He comforts us and seeks to restore us to a place of sonship or daughtership. So David is lamenting over his son Absalom, who had gone his own way and folly, the pain that a parent feels when they see their children hurting. Absalom is now dead. The pain, but listen, think about the pain that God feels when he sees his children hurting. But listen, let's even go a little bit further. Let's further probe into the heart of God. Let's go deeper into the heart and the mind of God. Can you imagine what God the Father felt when he saw his son hanging on the cross? The crowds around him jeering? All that his son had to endure? His torturous treatment? When finally, after the soldiers beat him unmercifully, had their way with him, and as I mentioned before, Pilate presenting him back to the people who were crying out for him to be crucified. How did Pilate present him? He said, behold the man. And why did he present him in that way? Because you see, Jesus was unrecognizable as a human being. His face was so marred by those blows that he had taken. Remember, they put a scarf over his head and then they punched him squarely in the face. And then they cried out, prophesied, who hit you? The crown of thorns was driven into his brow. He was bloodied. He was beaten. The cat nine tails was put on his back and it was ripped to shreds. His body was so marred. And that's the reason why Pilate presented him back to the people who were crying out for his crucifixion. Behold the man, because he was unrecognizable as a human being. His body so swollen. Unbelievable, right? And so could you imagine what God the Father felt when he saw his son hanging on the cross? the people around him jeering with all that Jesus had to endure, the torturous treatment. You know, I can see the Father weeping. His hands are tied, though, in order that he might redeem us. He allowed his Son to suffer and take our place as he bore our sins that he might bring you and I into his love. And thus the greatest sin we can ever commit is to be indifferent to that Love. You know, prophetically speaking, and it's recorded for us in the book of Lamentations in chapter 1, in verse 12, and Jeremiah sees this prophetically speaking concerning Jesus and what he had to endure leading up to the cross and then being nailed upon the cross. In Lamentations in chapter 1 and verse 12, Jeremiah tells us there, Has anyone ever suffered like this man? In other words, can you look at the cross of Jesus? and be unmoved? Can you just shrug your shoulders and walk away? Listen, why did he die? Simply because of his love for you and for me. And that's the reason why he was willing to die in our place. In my Father's house There's a place for me In my Father's house In the book of 2 Samuel, the King God anointed is finally on the throne. King David, the man after God's heart, is in the place God planned for him. Yet David is still human. And as you continue to study this book with Pastor Mike, you'll see that fact time and time again. 
David falls to the temptation of sin and reaps the consequences of his actions. But he does do one thing consistently. David repents when confronted and returns to the Lord. What an example of faithfulness and mercy. God forgives his chosen leader and restores the relationship that sin had broken. This same God is merciful to you, too. And his forgiveness is just as real when you come to him in repentance. Thanks for listening today to In My Father's House. You can explore more of these messages by searching for In My Father's House with Mike Finizio on your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to subscribe. If you're looking for a place in Midtown Manhattan to come together with others and worship Jesus, we'd love to have you join us this Sunday for worship at Harvest Christian Fellowship. You'll find directions and service times at harvestnyc.org. If this broadcast is an encouragement to you, would you consider supporting us? If you feel led, we're thankful for any financial support. In fact, you can donate securely on our website. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thanks for partnering with us in this way. That's all for today. Tune in next time for more on In My Father's House.